So I'd like us to turn this evening to that passage of scripture that we read, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm taking as our text this evening the final two verses of the chapter, very well-known words, I'm sure, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So here we have the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, his protege in the Lord's service. Timothy was the son of a lady called Eunice, as we're told in chapter one of this, this letter. And she had a, uh, her mother, uh, Timothy's grandmother, was called Lois. They were originally from a Jewish background, but they'd been converted, were believing, and they brought Timothy up in a believing home. Now, this letter was probably written about AD 64 or 65. Some date it as late as 67 AD, but it's Paul's final inspired epistle written during his final period of imprisonment in Rome. In the order in which we have our Bibles today, we have the letters of Paul to Titus and Philemon, and I believe Paul's letter to the Hebrews, which come after this letter. But from a historical or chronological perspective, this is Paul's final inspired communication to the church. Whether, of course, he wrote any other letters that were not intended to be kept in the canon of Scripture, we won't know this side of glory. But this is Paul's final inspired letter. And in chapter four of this letter, we're not going to have time to look at it. But in chapter four, and verse two, Paul is going to deliver a charge to Timothy. Paul knew well that his days on earth were numbered, that the time of the apostles was coming to an end, and that the New Testament pattern church of pastors, elders, deacons were going to take up the mantle from the apostles. And he's given a charge to Timothy, and that charge is not just for Timothy, it's for all those who would follow in the pastoral or the preaching ministry. That charge is to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season. It is to preach the word, to be instant, that is to say, to be fervent, to be urgent, to be earnest, in season and out of season. There will be times when the very windows of heaven may seem to be open with blessings and souls are saved in great numbers, times of revival, times of refreshing, times of awakening. But there are also going to be times of persecution, times of darkness when preaching and witnessing will seem hard and there are but few coming to the Lord. And indeed, at the start of chapter three, as we read, Paul tells Timothy that perilous times will come in the last days, not necessarily the final days immediately preceding the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
But throughout the whole of the gospel age, there'll be these perilous times, these seasons of hardness and lawlessness, which will be perilous, dangerous and harmful for, for believers. We look at that great list of characteristics of such perilous times. And surely as we look around us in our society today, we can say that we are living most definitely in one of these perilous times. Lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, the list goes on. Despisers of those that are good, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And yet Timothy is given that charge and all pastors and preachers are given that charge to preach the word out of season. Even when there's no immediate apparent blessing, still we are to continue preaching the word. As we come to our text, Paul reminds Timothy of his great privilege in being brought up by a godly parent and grandparent. In verse 15, Paul tells him that from a child he had known the scriptures that are able to make him wise unto salvation through faith in the Lord. From a child. Now we are greatly blessed and privileged to have so many children and young people coming under the sound of the word in our services, our morning schools, our Sunday school, Bible class, college classes. And we hear so much today about role models for young people, but so many of the so-called role models from the worlds of entertainment, pop culture, celebrity culture, from sport, these offer nothing but despair when you hear about their broken, their failed relationships, their drink and their drug abuse, their immoral lives. Of course, as believers, our supreme role model is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, followed by the Apostle Paul, who is presented in Scripture as an example or an ensample for us to follow. Yet here, I think, in Timothy is a great role model for all people, young people especially, but for all of us. And Paul says to Timothy, from a child... You have known the Holy Scriptures. And let's examine our hearts. Do we know the Scriptures truly, deeply, meaningfully? You may have heard me give this illustration before, but I'm sure that every single one of us here this evening, every single one watching this online, we all know that Rishi Sunak is Prime Minister of this country. However, I'd be very surprised... And apologies to anyone who this might apply to, but I doubt very much that there's any of us who can truly say that we know Rishi Sunak. The only people who would know him would be his closest family and friends. Those people who know him because they spend time with him. And that's the sense in which we need to know the scriptures as Timothy did. We may just have a vague head knowledge of the scriptures, but to really know the scriptures, you have to spend time with them, reading them, seeking to understand them. May we all be like Timothy and truly know the scriptures for ourselves. So as we come to our text this evening, these so familiar words in verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And we start with this little word, all. 
Yes, of course, for Timothy, he would have had the Old Testament scriptures. The New Testament was still being written at this time. Paul's previous letters were already in circulation in the churches. But for us in the 21st century, we have the whole Bible. The New Testament canon is now complete. So this word has even greater significance to us. Do we regard all of scripture as equally inspired? Have we each of us read the Bible through for ourselves? Or do we only have our favourite passages that we read regularly and maybe never touch certain other books? Now, of course, it's right that we may have certain favourite texts that comfort and reassure us in our different circumstances. But I don't know if you've ever seen the Peanuts, Charlie Brown comic strip. There's a character in that called Linus. And everywhere he went, he had his comfort blanket with him. But if someone took it off him or he lost it, he was distraught and couldn't do anything until he had it back. Are we like that, always looking for certain comfort texts to reassure us? Or do we look to the whole Bible, to the whole word of God to help us? Now, one of the first things I did as a young Christian was to memorize the names of all the books of the Bible and the order in which we have them. And I would definitely recommend that to all believers, especially younger believers. If I were to say to you, we were going to turn to the book of the prophet Obadiah, would we know where to find that in our Bibles without looking at the contents page? Maybe we try to read the Bible. We start in Genesis and then move into Exodus and there's quite an exciting narrative at the start of the book of Exodus as we read about how the Lord called Moses we read about how he stood before Pharaoh. There were the plagues in Egypt, the great miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. But then the narrative slows down. We have the Ten Commandments being given at Mount Sinai. And then we have these detailed regulations of the various laws, the ordinances, the offerings that the Israelites were to give, the instructions about the construction of the tabernacle. Maybe we find these difficult to read through, especially perhaps we might come to one passage and it just seems very similar to what we've just read before. Maybe we start to look at the early chapters of Chronicles. Sorry, yes, the early chapters of First Chronicles. And we're confronted with all these detailed lists of names and genealogies. And perhaps we're just tempted to just give up and just to skip a few chapters and get to the more exciting bits. Maybe we try and read the book of Ezekiel and we get bogged down with that prophetic vision at the beginning with the cherubim, the living creatures and the wheels. And then the later chapters with all the detailed descriptions of the temple in Ezekiel's vision. When I was younger, there was an old joke or play on words that went along the lines of what's black and white and red all over. And the answer was a newspaper. Black ink on white paper, but red, R-E-A-D, in the sense that you're reading it. But I want to change that a little. What's black and white and red all through? And the answer is, of course, our Bibles. Now, with apologies to any of you who've got red letter Bibles. For most of us, our Bibles are written with black ink on white paper, but they are red all through. Stained scarlet, crimson red with the blood of our crucified Lord and Saviour. 
That's why we have those detailed descriptions of the offerings in the book of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. That's why we have those important genealogies in First Chronicles. And that's why Ezekiel was given those detailed visions. They're teaching us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is there in all the scriptures. And more importantly, Christ crucified is there. So if we take away nothing else from this message this evening, let's remember it is all scripture that is given by inspiration of God. And I would encourage each of us to read the whole Bible. Now, I'd like us to think about this word given. Now, it may be if you're not using the AV, you might have another version that might say something like all scripture is God breathed. And that's perhaps a more literal translation of the Greek. It's something breathed out by God. However, hopefully, like me, you prefer the AV rendering here. Where we have it written this way, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We read elsewhere in the Bible of things that are given to us. In Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In James chapter 1, we read, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. In Ephesians chapter 2, we read those great words, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And of course, supremely in John chapter 3 verse 16, we read those great words, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So here we're reminded in our passage this evening, we're told that all scripture is given to us. How do we treat this gift from God? Let's suppose you want to give a gift to someone. You spend a long time thinking about it and planning it. The day comes when you give that gift to the person, you hand it over to them, that their response is not quite what you expected. Maybe they're just totally ungrateful and just casually toss the gift aside. They're not interested in it. How hurtful can that sometimes be to us? Is that how we treat God's gifts? Are we thankful to the Lord for the gift of his scripture, the gift of his word? Are we thankful? We think of the TBS having the, the GLA, the AGM tomorrow, the work of the TBS, the GLA. Are we thankful to have the Lord's word in our language? Do we value it? Do we treasure it? Or are we not too bothered about it? Scarcely thinking much about what God is saying to us in his word. So as we move on in our text, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now it's not my purpose here this evening to go into any kind of technical discussion of exactly how the Lord inspired the writers of Scripture, nor is it uh, my purpose to go into how it is that we have the 66 books of the Bible that we do, why some were rejected and why some were included in the canon of Scripture. I leave that to others. We could spend many 
uh, profitable hours doing that. But tonight, I just want to think the Lord could use a farmer like Amos, a shepherd like David, a tax collector like Matthew, a doctor like Luke, a fisherman like Peter or John, a great scholar like Paul, and so many others. He could use these people, their different backgrounds, their different lifestyles, to deliver his word, while at the same time it's the Lord superintending and overruling so that we can say that the final scripture is the infallible written word of God. And I want us to just to think tonight, the main application I want to draw from that is that the Lord God uses means. He could, of course, have just given us a complete word. He could have just given us a complete scripture. At Mount Sinai, the Lord wrote on the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God. The Lord could have given us a complete word, but he chose to use weak and fallible human instruments to bring his word into, into being. So the Lord uses means. And just as the Lord used his faithful servants of old to set down the infallible and inerrant word of God, so he uses means today in preaching, in prayer, and in witness. Now we believe quite rightly in the free offer of the gospel, that we are to preach the gospel persuasively and evangelistically, seeking to persuade people to turn to the Lord and to repent of their sins and be saved. That's why we hold Sunday school and teach the children to turn to the Lord for themselves. But of course, there are those who we may describe as hyper-Calvinists. They deny that we should seek to persuade people. They say that we should do nothing more than teach the simple words of Scripture and leave it to the Holy Spirit to convict sinners and bring them to repentance. They say we are not to preach the free offer of the gospel because that is man-centered and leads to works righteousness. But surely, just as we have here the very word of God being given to us, by the inspiration of God using means, using human instruments to bring that about, so too we are commanded to preach persuasively as we implore and beseech sinners to seek and find the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, the Apostle Paul speaks of the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. But let's move on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable there is of course in the word of God an inherent profitability in Isaiah chapter 55 the Lord says that his word shall not return unto me void but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it the word of God is profitable in and of itself but I want to ask ourselves the question, is the scripture profitable to us? Do we read and study the scriptures with profit? And I speak this as much to myself. But when we come to the scriptures, do we just read our passage, get our Bible reading out of the way, put the Bible down, don't even think about it anymore? 
Or do we pray beforehand? Do we ask the Lord to speak to us, to show us some doctrine, some lesson, some application, some reproof, some challenge? Or do we just read the verses carelessly? We should remember that the Bible is not like any other book. It is the very word of God. And we need the author of that word to reveal its meaning to us. Let us each one read the scripture with profit and seek the Lord's blessing each time that we read it. This passage goes on to remind us what profit that word is to us as we read. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Doctrine. This, of course, refers to the body of truth, which is revealed in the word. Here, in the pages of scripture, we may learn the great doctrines of the faith, the nature of God, the nature of man, Christ, the Trinity, the church, sin, forgiveness, heaven, hell, and so much else besides. Sadly, of course, the word doctrine today is not highly regarded in some so-called evangelical circles. You may have heard the expression, doctrine divides, but love unites. And it's often used to justify those of a more liberal and ecumenical persuasion who see it as love to have fellowship with other so-called Christian traditions such as Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. And they regard an emphasis on doctrine as almost being a barrier to that love. But how sad is that? Doctrine is ultimately the great test of true love. We think of uh, Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 13, that great chapter on love and charity. Love, we're told, rejoiceth in the truth. How can anyone say they love the Lord unless they have a doctrinal understanding of who the Lord Jesus Christ really is, what he has done to save us and how we are to be separate from the world and separate from error. So scripture is given to us to teach us doctrine. Paul is, of course, addressing Timothy here, particularly in the sense of his being a kind of a prototype, I can use the expression pastor. Verse 17 describes the man of God, but this word is for all believers. Doctrine is so important for each one of us, from the youngest to the oldest. We need a right understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ as God and man, a right understanding of the triune Godhead, and we will get that only as we study the scriptures for ourselves. And we have these two words following that. Scripture is profitable for doctrine, then for reproof, for correction. Reproof, the Greek means something along the lines of to rebuke, to censure. and It has a sense of chastisement involved in it. 
The Lord loves his people. And sometimes he has to rebuke us sharply. We can go back to that charge that the Apostle Paul is going to give Timothy in chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Timothy is urged to reprove at times. If we're going wrong, the Lord may well speak to us through a passage in the scripture to rebuke us. But he only does so out of love for us that we may be restored to the right path. The word used for correction here in verse 16 refers to an improvement or to a restoration to an upright or a right state. We may not need to be rebuked or reproved as in the earlier word, but there's still some way in which we're lacking and need to be restored. Perhaps an illustration I could give might be if we look in the letters to the churches in uh, the beginning of the book of Revelation and you have Laodicea, which was sternly rebuked by the Lord. But the church at Ephesus, the Lord had to seek to correct them. Thou hast left thy first love. So maybe there's a sense there, if it is Perhaps a little bit difficult just to distinguish between the two, but certainly reproof, God willing, hopefully would be followed by correction. And then the fourth thing that Paul tells us here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And this is talking about the ongoing instruction that aims to increase virtue, uprightness, correctness in all our thinking and in our actions in our Christian lives. I remember when I was a young Christian speaking to an unbeliever at work about how I had read the Bible through more than once. I can't remember if it was twice or three times at that time. But he was astonished and he thought of the Bible as just like any other book. Okay, you might like to read it, but surely once you've read it, that's it. You don't need to look at it again. But the Bible is not like that. Each and every time that we read it, there is something new for us. Some new challenge, some new instruction, some new aspect of the Lord's character that we can learn. And as we read the scripture and profit from it, it should build us up in our most holy faith as we seek to live our lives for the Lord, putting him first in all things. So as we come to verse 17. We are told all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable that the man of God may be perfect. Not just pastors, preachers evangelists, teachers, but all Christians, we are to be perfect. Not that we believe that Christians can achieve sinless perfection in this life or in this world, but rather the word translated perfect has in mind the sense of being complete. The scripture is profitable to make us complete in the Lord and totally fitted for his service. This should be our great aim as Christians. 
both individually and corporately, that we should be complete in him. And then as we come towards the end of this verse, Paul expands it. What is being perfect? What is being complete? Truly furnished unto all good works. Truly furnished. Now we're in the middle of a bit of a decorating, decorating project at home. Uh, I've got a plaster in at the moment. got some painting being done next week. So uh, the rooms are looking in, um, a bit emptied and... Uh, some of the furniture has been taken out and moved around. But hopefully once it's all, all done, all finished, we'll get the furniture back in. The rooms will be truly furnished, properly furnished again. But here we are, the man that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished. The Lord gives us all the furniture, as it were, all the equipment that we need to serve him. Our works do not save us. We are unworthy sinners and deserve nothing. How could our faithless and sinful works possibly make us right with God? But as saved Christians, we have everything that we need from the Lord to do good works in this fallen world. We are fully equipped for the battle and for the Lord's service. But our Lord has determined to save us and use us as his instruments in this godless world in which we live. And he's given us everything we need to live for him and to serve him. There's nothing lacking for us. Maybe there are things we would like to know more. But there's a passage in Deuteronomy which speaks the secret things are known unto the Lord. There are certain things, no matter how much we may like to know more, there are certain things the Lord has not revealed to us. We have everything that we need in the scripture to equip us and to enable us to serve him. Whatever our service for the Lord, whether pastor, preacher, teacher, deacon, evangelist, Sunday school teacher, helper, visiting in the neighborhood, track description, sorry, distribution. We have all that we need in his word to enable us to undertake that service for him. So as we close, let us give thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ for his scripture, for his word that he has given us all that we need whenever and wherever we go to serve him. Amen. Amen.